And so by way of introduction this morning, um, I would like you to participate in this type of hypothetical situation, this story that we're going to do. If you would, think about a famous person, either past or present, that if you had the opportunity to spend one whole day, 24 hours with, who would that be? Think about that person right now in your head, and think about that person, either past or present, and you would get to spend a whole day with them, 24 hours, you would receive an invitation in the mail or a text or a phone call from this special person, and you would get to spend that whole day with them. You got that person in your head? All right, look to the person next to you and tell them who you said, who, who it is. All right, who's willing to say out loud who that person is? Anybody? Anybody? All right, on the count of three, everybody say your person out loud. One, two, three. Okay. I don't know who any of you guys said, but... Since I'm the one preaching this morning, I'll tell you the person that I thought of, all right? And so the person that I thought of, if I could spend 24 hours with an opportunity, a famous celebrity or person, pastor probably know who this person is. It's Dwayne Wade of the Miami Heat. If you would put a picture up there, Nick, Dwayne Wade of the Miami Heat, he's a three-time NBA champion. That's me and him right there. Um, If you think the photo's fake, it actually is fake. I just put my head on somebody else's body. And... um, I actually posted that to Instagram on his birthday, and uh, that's some other Asian guy's body right there, and and I thought, our skin kind of matches, I'll put my head on him, and it looks like it, but um, I was hoping to get a response from Dwayne Wade, but he never responded back, and so, if I could choose one person, it would be Dwayne Wade. And now, let's be honest, if if this opportunity was true, if this was real, if we could spend 24 hours with this one person, we would no doubt reschedule something. If that person said, hey, I want to meet you at this time, at this certain week, in this month, this day, and whatever we had scheduled, we'd probably reschedule that. We would also anticipate it. We would be talking about it. We would say, man, tell other people, like, I get to spend 24 hours with this one person. I get to spend 24 hours with Dwayne Wade. And, and it would be something where no doubt we wouldn't miss it. We would be so enthralled by it, we would show up. We wouldn't want to miss that opportunity. Set our clock, get it ready to go, and we would show up. We wouldn't miss the opportunity to spend time with this person. Now, that's hypothetical. Obviously, it's not going to be true, and it's never going to probably happen for the famous person that you'd want. So let's bring it to reality this morning. And let's look, in our, uh, look at uh, the book of Hebrews in chapter 4. Let's look at verse 16 here this morning and bring it to reality. The Bible says this in Hebrews 4, 16, Let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You know, there's an opportunity given to each and every Christian this morning from the God of the universe, who is the most famous of the famous. And whoever you thought about this morning in our hypothetical illustration, they don't even come close to the awe and wonder of God. You see, he invites us to commune with him on a daily, continuous basis, and this invitation is not just good for one day. The invitation is good for a lifetime. And one of the the ways we commune with him is by the means of prayer. The means of prayer. You see, prayer is our response to God's invitation. See, prayer is our means of communicating with the one who has made us. And prayer is, the, one, prayer is the, the thing that changes things. See, we have been invited to the throne of grace where God sits and things happen. You know what we should be doing? 
We should be rescheduling. Anticipating. We should be talking about it. We should be showing up and responding to this gracious invitation to meet with God in prayer. If you let your mind and heart just soak in this reality that you can enter into the presence of God through Jesus Christ via prayer, what that should do, it should burst, it should fill your heart with joy to where it could just burst open as you think about this, as you think about the unimaginable reality that we have, the magnitude we have to commune with God. Think of any famous person you would be in awe of if you were to stand next to them, a human person. And then you think about God, the danger of familiarity is, is that we have taken a person and raised them up in value and devalued God. But yet as Christians, we get to meet with the famous one. We get to meet with the holy one, the set-apart one. We get to actually have a real relationship, connection with God. And that is done, not just through the means of Bible reading, but yet through the means of prayer. We actually get to use our voices and talk to God. The one who made the flowers outside when you walked up, that was God. The air that you breathe, that was God. And yet we get to meet him personally in prayer. If we were to sit down and really think about prayer for what it really is, the depths of it, we would never be able to hit the bottom. But we've allowed familiarity to rob us of this truth. And when I say we, I mean me as well. You know, I find that prayer or the opportunity to spend time with God gets overlooked so easily. And yet the magnitude of this unbelief means of grace is cheapened by the mundane of life and the danger of the familiar. I've seen this in my own life, where prayer is not as impactful, it's not as important, it's not as powerful as it should be, it's not as attractive or enticing as it should be, and we've been invited to, we've been invited by the greatest and the most famous one, but why do we struggle to respond to the invitation? I've had to ask these questions to myself, why do I struggle with my response why do I not hold in the highest regard the opportunity to come to the throne of grace? And why don't I sacrifice to meet with the one who has sacrificed his life for me? Here's what I found. That in my own life and in Christian's life, we don't struggle with knowing that we should pray or how to pray. We just struggle in general to pray. We all know that we should and all of us know how to. But when it really comes down to, we just don't. And that was something that I've had to come to realization with. I had to humble myself and say, you know what, I just don't. So by, by a poll here this morning, raise your hand if you've mastered the practice of praying. Raise your hand. Anybody? Now raise your hand if you struggle praying this morning. Not just this morning, but just overall. Now look around you. There you go everybody struggles with prayer. And so this morning, here's what I want you to do. I, I just don't want you to tune out. I want you to get in. Because when you looked around, you didn't find any perfect prayers here this morning. So the reality is this, is that the message that we're going to hear today is not just for those who struggle, but for everybody here this morning. So as we continue this morning on this subject of prayer, if you're taking notes, the title of today's message is this, Obstacles 
to prayer. Obstacles to prayer. And we're going to look here at three general obstacles that keep us from praying. Number one, ignorance. Ignorance. We don't know who God is. When it comes down to it, we just don't know who God is. We've been invited by the God of the universe, and yet we don't know him. There isn't a passionate pursuit after God. There is no thirst for the person of Jesus. And this is super critical because prayer is a relationship. Prayer is communication. And yet when we don't know who God is, it doesn't make us want to pray. So what is our avenue to knowing God, which will help us then with prayer? We believe that the word of God reveals to us the character and nature of God. And all that God wants us to know about him is contained in his word. And this is crucial because this is the one of the means of grace that God has given to us that directly connects to prayer. See, when you get to know who God is, it's going to make you want to talk to God. I don't know about you, but um, I'm not a plane person. Anybody likes flying on planes when they travel? Anybody? No, I don't. Um, planes to me stink. I'm actually going to be flying uh, this week on Thursday to a friend's wedding, and I'll be flying on there. And uh, I'm a little scared because it's going into Albany, New York, and I feel like there's going to be all this snow and storm, and I might not make it back, okay? So if I don't, then um, anybody can have my red car. Oh, no, I'll give it to Jessica. Jessica can have it. So I'm a little afraid, but I don't like flying on planes, okay? And one of the most awkward things about planes is that you're put in a situation where you have to sit next to somebody you don't know. And, and, and for me, the whole struggle of it is, do I talk to them or do I not talk to them? Or, or I try so hard for three hours not to even say anything. I actually try to act like I'm invisible, okay? But it's hard because you, you can't because, you know, you get the rumbles in the stomach, all right? And then you have to go all the way to the back of the plane and use the bathroom and then you have to cut through everybody and all this stuff. But the struggle of that and the awkward thing about it is you sit next to somebody you've never even known and you probably will never ever see again. And yet you struggle to not want to talk to them because you don't know them. And it's easy because there's no invested time into knowing them. And yet sometimes when it comes to us in prayer, the reason we don't pray is because we're sitting on a plane, but yet we don't even know who God is. God sits down, but we don't know him. We try our best to kind of not make things awkward. And yet that's what leads to prayerlessness is when we don't know who God is. See, the word of God is so great. It's not just a book that's, that's just doctrine or theology. You know, this Bible is alive this morning. The Bible is alive this morning. The Bible says it's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The Bible is alive this morning, and yet the Bible shows us and tells us of who God is. And so when we're in God's Word and we get to know and communicate with who God is, then that leads us to, bone, that leads us to real prayer in our lives. We seek after prayer. Why? Because we've gotten to know the God of the Bible, and so therefore our natural response is wanting to speak to God. Eugene Peterson said this, your starting point to prayer must be immersion in God's Word. Your starting point to prayer must be your immersion in God's word. See, what keeps us from praying is simply we don't know who we are praying to. We don't know who we're praying to. We haven't taken the time to seek after the Lord to really know him. First Chronicles 16, 10 through 11, David said this, Glory ye in his holy name. 
Let the heart of them that rejoice, that seek the Lord, seek the Lord and His strength and seek His face continually. In that passage of Scripture, what happened is the ark was returned back and they were so rejoicing and thankful that they had the presence of God with them again. And yet David says, keep seeking the presence of God. Keep going after it continually. And yet that way is via through prayer. You and I get to be in prayer. But here's the thing. Here's the danger. Here's the danger of what happens when we don't pray attached to God's word. What happens when we don't pray attached to God's word is we begin to describe God in a false way. So that when we pray to God, we come to him in a preconceived view of how he should work. And when we pray and we come to him with our preconceived view and we ask him to do something and he doesn't do it, guess who begins to get blamed for it? God. When in fact he does not work the way you think he should work. God works according to the way he said he works. And when you're tied to this, you will know how to pray. When you tie to this, you will not be swayed by your feelings this morning. You will not be swayed by those types of things. You would be anchored in what God says and so that you're confident to come to him in prayer to know that he does here. I have found myself to pray that type of way. God, why don't you work the way I wanted you to work? We're very narcissistic, each and every one of us, if we would actually like to admit it. Even in our prayers, we can become very narcissistic. And we get to blame God for the things he does not do for us when we say. See, we don't come to God the way we should come to God. See, our prayers go hand in hand with God's word. The more we know him, the more we pray to him. The more we know him, the deeper our prayers become. We become enraptured with him. And our natural response is to commune with God in prayer. To be immersed in his word is crucial for our prayer lives. Psalm 145, verse 18. Think about this. This says here, The Lord's nigh unto all them that call upon him, prayer. To all that call upon him in truth, the word. Connected together. All right, John 15, 7. If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, the word. Ye shall ask what ye will and it shall be done unto you, prayer. These two things are connected together. And when we put these two things connected together, our prayer lives become something that we are rescheduling for that we are anticipating, that we're talking about, that we're expecting God to do something. We find a connection between God's word and prayer. And just like in any relationship, you've got to have accurate communication for the relationship to actually thrive. For example, if I begin to call Jessica my fiance by the name of Brittany, okay, that wouldn't fly, all right? That kind of would raise some flags, and she'd probably be reaching for my phone, wondering, who's Brittany? Okay? If I begin to call her Brittany, oh, I love your long blonde hair and your nice blue eyes, and I'm so glad that you're from Germany, right? No, that is inaccurate information and a wrong description of who Jessica is. Jessica is dark brown hair, dark brown eyes, and she is from Mexico. Okay? So two different descriptions, right? One's accurate and one's false. Would Jessica respond to me if I said, hey, Brittany, could you grab me that sandwich? Or, oh, no, no, no. no hey, Brittany, could you grab me, um, could you grab my keys? 
she wouldn't, she wouldn't respond because her name is not Brittany, it's Jessica. And though this is kind of like a corny type of illustration, the reality is this, is that sometimes we come to God and we don't even reference who he really is. Because we don't come to him in truth, because we haven't been immersed with God's word. And there's a danger because the reality is we get led by our feelings to where we think God is all of these different things and he's not matched up with the word. We've been invited to commune with the King of Kings. We've been invited to converse with the Redeemer of mankind. We've been invited to connect with the Prince of Peace. We've been invited to encounter the Creator of the universe. And we haven't been invited by just the one. We've been invited by just only the one and only. But do we see Him for who He is? If we are untethered from God's Word, our prayer lives will fall prey to ignorance, which will lead to prayerlessness. I was trying to figure out a better word than saying ignorance, and I asked Jess, it's like, that's not too harsh. Like, is that really bad? But let's say more like illiterate, meaning we just don't know. Our prayer lives will be much better, much deeper, more intimate when we actually pray, when we read the word. That's not being legalistic. That's just saying that's how it's built in. The function of it is built in together. God's word, prayer. I know God through the revealed means of his word. And then I pray to him because of what I know about him. We need that. I know I need that. I've lived most of my life not understanding this type of reality that I need the word of God and prayer to be put together so that I can come to God and, and, and give him the glory due unto his name. It's just not adoration, confession, and thanksgiving. It's more than that. It's deeper than that. So what keeps us oftentimes from praying is ignorance. Number two, what keeps us oftentimes from praying is arrogance. Arrogance. Another see, thing that I see that keeps us from praying is arrogance. And when we don't pray, we are essentially saying we don't need God. I've been there, and you've probably been there, not like up front saying, God, I'm not praying to you. I can do this. I can do that. No, there are, there are ways subtly where we indicate this to the Lord, where we say, God, I don't need you. And it's not like we're standing there saying to him, to his face, I don't need you. It's just the subtle things that we do that indicate that we don't need him. See, arrogance leads us into self-sufficient lives. We find ourselves living by the arm of the flesh and we begin to place faith and dependency into objects, believing that those things will bring about change to life's situations and circumstances. We subtly place our intellect above God's intellect. We place our skills above God's skills. To allow arrogance to keep us from praying is a spiritual death sentence. And we will not survive. See, we believe we can get by rather well without God and without prayer. And we trust in ourselves. We trust in our wealth, our strength, our health, our science, our technology, our predictions, our plans, and our teams, our insurance and medical schemes. And although these things are not necessarily wrong, we often trust in them instead of God. We use God the way we use a spare tire. We cry out to him when everything else has failed when, and when we are really in trouble. See, prayer is a display of humility. Prayer is a display of dependency. 
Prayer is not an accessory. Prayer is a necessity. We can't treat prayer like, like Apple does when they take away the phone jack and you've got to put this dongle in there so that you can get your, 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 your headphones to working, okay? And that's sometimes what we see prayer like. It's like this accessory that we have to put it in once we need it, actually. Prayer is a built-in necessity. Prayer is a built-in function of the Christian life. We are not commanded to pray, not just for an hour or just for five minutes, but to live in continual, continual, open-line communication with our God. Why? Because we desperately need him. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says this, pray without ceasing. Say that together, ready? Pray without ceasing. All right? We understand what this means. That there's a spirit of prayer that's continually happening. That's not your regular set aside time, which is good. It's okay to have a regular set set of time to pray to God. But as we go throughout the day, there's this open line of communication that indicates that God, we don't have it. That God, we don't have it all together. We don't have all the answers. So this open line of communication between us and God is this continual time of praying without ceasing. That's when I go to the store and, um, and I meet somebody and I'm saying, God, please direct me. Do what you want with me. Is this person, do you want me to speak to this person about the gospel, Lord? Do you want me to help this person? Do you want me to give money to this person? It's this open line of communication. It's the, the moments where you're at home and you're talking to your wife or your husband and all of a sudden you can feel this boiling up of this situation and then you're praying God, please help my emotions. Please help me to respond in the right way. It's this open line of communication where it's Holy Spirit guide and direct me. Father, I need you desperately. We pray without ceasing because it is a necessity and because we desperately need him. Paul tells us in that Thessalonians, he lists many other things but he says, pray without ceasing. Arrogance keeps us from seeing prayer as a necessity. I'm going to skip over here, Nick, to we get robbed of these realities when we live arrogantly. We get robbed that there is power in prayer, there is strength in prayer, there is provision in prayer, there is hope in prayer, there is comfort in prayer. Those types of things go out the window when we live arrogantly. In his book by Tim Keller called Prayer, he shares a personal story about the necessity of prayer in the life of him and his wife. And so in this next few minutes here, I want you to really pay close attention, really hear, really listen here as I talk about this part of necessity, prayer being something we really need. He says this, here's a testimony of Tim Keller and his wife. He says, in the second half of my adult life, I discovered prayer. That's actually very humble to say. He says, I had to. In the fall of 1999, I taught a Bible study course on the Psalms. It became clear to me that I was barely scratching the surface of what the Bible commanded and promised regarding prayer. Then came the dark weeks in New York after 9-11, when our whole city sank into a kind of corporate clinical depression. Even as it rallied, for my family, the shadow was intensified as my wife Kathy struggled with the effects of Crohn's disease. Finally, I was diagnosed with the thyroid cancer. At one point during all of this, my wife urged me to do something with her we had never been able to muster the self-discipline to do regularly. 
She asked me to pray with her every night. She used an illustration that crystallized her feelings very well. As we remember it, she said something like this. Imagine you were diagnosed with such a lethal condition that the doctor told you that you would die within hours unless you took a particular medicine, a pill, every night before going to sleep. Imagine that you were told that you could never miss it or you would die. Would you forget? Would you not get around to it some nights? No. It would be so crucial that you wouldn't forget, you would never miss. And well, if we don't pray together to God, we're not going to make it because of all we are facing. I'm certainly not. We have to pray. We just call, we can't, we call it. We just can't let it slip. We just can't let it slip. Man, when I read that for the first time, it kind of shocked me. It kind of woke me up. It kind of made me realize, man, have I been taking this thing called prayer for granted? Have I been living on my own in arrogance towards the Lord? This woman brings out, Mrs. Keller brings out this reality that you will not survive unless you pray. That we need to treat prayer as if it's this medicine that will keep us alive. And she saw it as serious as that to where she would not miss and they would not miss praying together as a couple for many years. See, I was greatly convicted because I have not looked at prayer in such a crucial way before. Prayer has become common, mundane, and repetitive in my arrogance. And I drain the power of prayer with my pride. But when we see prayer for what it is, it humbles us. And the way we come about prayer is we've got to admit some things this morning. We have to admit that we are not perfect. We have to admit that we don't have it all together. We have to admit that we make terrible gods. We have to admit that we're not adequate. We have to admit that we don't have enough strength. And we have to admit that we are desperate. Then we can come and partake of a joy-filled prayer life where we learn to place our confidence in the right place. And that is confidence not in ourselves, but in our King. Let me ask you this morning, are you desperate enough to talk to God? Do you see prayer as this opportunity? You actually get to converse with the king and you have to. First John 5.14 says, and this is the confidence, this is where confidence comes, that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. See, prayer is placing your confidence in him. Set aside your arrogance and please admit you need God. And finally here this morning, third thing that keeps us from praying is not just ignorance and arrogance, but here's one that's the subtle one. It's good things. Good things. Luke chapter 10, verse 38 through 42, it says this. Now it came to pass as they went that he entered into a certain village and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. 
But Martha was cumbered about much serving and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her therefore that she help me. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful. And Mary hath chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. John Piper said this, evil things don't keep me from praying, good things keep me from praying. See, Martha in this story was serving Jesus and his disciples. They had this huge party, this huge gathering. Some theologians think there was about 70 people there. So think about Martha, how she is coming to Jesus and saying, look, I have all these tables to clean. I have all these things to serve. I have all these dishes to wash. And she's going crazy. You'd probably go crazy too. If it was just you and your sister and then 70 guys who just ate, okay? Guys are messy. They leave a lot of food everywhere, okay? So she has this type of attitude towards Jesus of, look, I'm doing everything. Yet her little sister Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus in communion. In relationship, sitting there adoring Jesus, fixed in an awe and wonder. Now Martha begins to complain that Mary isn't doing anything. And Jesus defends Mary by saying to Martha that there is one thing that is needful and that one thing is communion. That one thing is relationship. That one thing is adoration. And Mary has chosen that. You see, the right thing to do at that moment for Martha was just to put down the dishes, to put down the trash bag and put aside the broom and commune with Jesus. At the end of the day, those dishes would still be there. At the end of the day, the trash will still be there. At the end of the day, the living room will still be dirty. You'll have to clean it again. But what Jesus was saying was at that moment, at that time, the most important thing was to spend time with me. How many times in our own flesh or our own mentality that we say, I got to do this good thing, I got to do this good thing at the neglect of what is the greatest thing. This part to me spoke so hard because I work in a church and I do different things here. I set up different things here. I cut grass, I vacuum, I, I make graphics. All of this stuff is for the great good of the church. But yet what happens sometimes is that I don't ever fix all of that around the greatest thing the thing that would actually give every, all, all of those other things power. And there have been times where I've set up for events and I believed in the lights. Man, these lights are going to do it. If we get just the right lighting, it's going to be great. The great mood. If we just set it up, design it the right way, all of this stuff is going to happen, man. God's people are going to meet with God and God's going to do something great. And there's nothing wrong with setting those things up. It's just when I start to begin to place my faith and my work and all of those things into those things that can't bring anything to transformation. And I've worked so hard to get something ready when I haven't taken the time to actually pray. To say, God, I actually need you. I've found in my own life I will sacrifice prayer for something else. And yet God's people are called to sacrifice things for him. We are called to sacrifice the good things for the greatest thing. And understand this this morning. When good things become God things, they become bad things. See, Martha, she could have just put the trash down. She could have just put the dishes down. She could have just come over and spent time with Jesus. In 2019, how about we make more time for Jesus? How about we make more time for prayer? How about we put aside the things that drain us 
You know, I have to look at my life constantly and say, no, Netflix, even though I really like you, no. It's a good thing, but it becomes a bad thing when it becomes a God thing. Netflix, you don't own this time. God owns this time. Cell phone, no. iPad, no. Nothing's wrong with it. I'm preaching from it right here. Technology, no. We've got to allow God to be what we center everything around. He cannot be on the outskirts of our lives. He has to be the center. And when he is the center, we come to him via prayer. And we commune with him. I think sometimes what it is is our shallow view of God. Man, if I wish sometimes that God would just come right now, physically in shape, and just blow me away with who he is so that I can get off uh, all of this, the, 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 low, um, the low thinking of who he is. Because I can look at celebrities and I can be in all of them, but sometimes I have such shallow faith, but God is much more real than them. And if we were to see him for who he really is, real, it would change our lives. If we really believe that God sees everything, that would change some things. But for some reason, you and I find this thing where it's like, I'm going to still do this and maybe God's back's turned real quick. And I'm praying that 2019, our church would experience real face-to-face God moments where he becomes greater than everything else in our lives, where he becomes number one in everything, that he is the center and everything else falls off to the side, and yet he's still propped number one. He's still lifted high and lifted up. I know for me personally, this message has greatly convicted me. And not everybody's obstacles are the same. And I'm closing here this morning. As I said before, we have been given a daily invitation to converse with God one-on-one. With the greatest and the most famous one. We know as Christians how to pray. We know we should pray. Prayer is necessary for us as Christians. Prayer changes things. There is power in prayer. There is a direct connection to the God of the universe. I hope that you would recognize what keeps you from praying. For some of us, it is ignorance that keeps us from praying. We simply are not immersed in who God is. For others, it may be arrogance. We have grown accustomed to being the boss of our own lives. And we don't see prayer as necessary because we are so blinded by our pride. And for others, we get occupied by good things. We tend to give priority and value to the things that are not sinful at the expense of what is needful. See, my prayer and hope for me and for our church is that we should be aware of what steals our passions away from prayer. We have been given an invitation from our Creator, and may we respond that invitation with sacrificial passion and undying devotion. If you want God to work, He works through prayer. If you want, if you want God to change things, He works through prayer. See, what's so awesome is that when you receive Jesus Christ as Savior, when you trust in His unfinished work, the Bible says that we cry, Abba, Father. 
which is then our access, our language to the Lord as we pray to him. We come boldly before the throne of grace. We begin an access via prayer through Jesus Christ. And look, this isn't something we're attaching to worth or salvation. This is something that naturally happens when we become the children of God. Prayer is a natural right for the child of God. We are acting in accordance to our identity when we commune with God. Are you going to fight for that? Are you going to fight for time? Sometimes we easily give up on that. And there's no fight. God, I want to make time for you. I want you to change me. I want you to work in me. Obstacles to prayer. Ignorance, arrogance, and the good things. Let's pray. Father, Lord, as we...